You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. With me to Revelations chapter 1. You know, I, I just, I could see, and I, 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 I'm hearing that, man, people are like, let's get in deeper into the book of Revelations. And let me, let me tell you why people are saying that, why you, a lot of Christians think that. Let's get to the Antichrist, and let's get to this, because they've been convinced, a large part of the body of Christ has been convinced that the book of Revelations is about the Antichrist and about what Satan is going to do. That it's all about the Antichrist and all about the seven years of tribulation. That's what the book is about. And so that people are like, let's get to that part. You know what? That's not what the book is about. The book is about Re- the Revelations chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. This is what the book is really about. And so he says in Revelations 1, this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to share with his loving servants. This is about, the book of Revelation is about the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean he's going to be unveiled? It's going to be unveiled what he is like now. We've seen him as the baby. We've seen him as the 12-year-old boy in the temple. We see him as the one that walked the earth and healed and delivered. We see him as the one crucified. We see him as the one risen from the dead. But he wants to unveil who Jesus is now to change our total perspective of who Jesus is right now. He wants to unveil it to us. He's going to today. And so he says this, what must occur swiftly. I want to just talk about that word swiftly. I haven't talked about that. God wants us to live with a sense of urgency. He wants us to live with the sense of urgency that he could come back anytime. He said, listen, it's going to happen on a normal day. We've talked about it for weeks Days of Noah, people are going to be given in marriage. All this stuff's going to happen. There's going to be an economy. There's going to still be, see things happen. But he said it's going to be a normal day. And so we need to live with a sense of urgency for the lost in our families. We need to pray with more passion than we've ever prayed. So whether he comes, and there's two, type, there's two uh, things that Jesus will do in the coming days. One, he'll take the church out of here called the rapture. He'll take us off the planet. And then the second thing that will happen is that after the seven-year tribulation, the, he will return with us to the earth, and we will rule and reign with him. And so that's the second coming of Christ. That's the second coming. But In the meantime, he wants us to live with a sense of urgency because this, he said, is coming swiftly, and so we need to live like he's coming. And we need to pray like he's coming. We need to be busy. We don't need to be, you know, well, we'll just wait on God. No, we need to be busy. We need to be about our Father's business. What's his business? Salvation, souls. What's his business? The body of Christ. What's his business? Sowing, sowing, living, marrying, moving forward, taking care of our marriages and our families. And that's his business. We need to be about our Father's business in our homes, in our personal lives. When, he's, when no one is looking, we need to be about our Father's business. Amen? The church has got to be busy. We should be busier than we've ever been, and we are here at Church on the Move. I had a man tell me that his son said, 
Uh, man, I'm, I don't know about going to your church, Dad. He's like, why? He goes to Legacy Church. I, mean, I said, why? He said, because, man, every time I go there, they're asking for something. We said, what do you mean? He said, man, I, I don't have a problem tithing, but they're always asking me to serve and do this and do that. Of course, any church worth did salt. Should, we have 36 ministries. We're always asking you to help. We need your help. We need to be busy about our Father's business. Any church is not busy, man. They're not, they're not serving the Lord the way they should. Should be always something happening. And people excited about it. Save people, serve people. Amen? He says it right here. He calls us his loving servant, servants, which must occur swiftly. He's saying, my loving servants must be about my father's business. He said, he signified it by sending his angel to his loving servant, John. I, John, bore witness to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he said, a joyous blessing rests upon the one who reads this message and upon those who hear and embrace the words of this prophecy, for the appointed time is in your hands. It's coming. He's saying, it's coming. It's in your hands right now. You see it coming. And guys, I, I want to equate this, that what God shows his people, he said, will not know the day nor the hour, and it's kind of like going to the movies. So you go to the movies, and you know that, you know, when the lights are up, and people still in the concession stand, you know, if you're there early, the movie's not going to start. But when you get seated, and you're talking, you're texting, and stuff's happening, and then the lights go down, you know it's going to start. And then the previews come on, and previews used to be a couple minutes. Now they're like 10, 15 minutes. Some of them are pretty cool, though. You're like, I'm going to watch that movie. And so, but they're longer than they used to be. The previews are now, but it's all a preview. It's like the lights go down, the previews start. So you know any time, you don't know when that preview's over, but any time the movie's going to start. The Word of God is the preview. He's previewing. One of the great prophecies of Daniel about our time, Daniel said this, it's very powerful. He said, travel will increase and knowledge will increase right before the coming of the Lord. Right before the coming of the Lord. Travel and knowledge. Do you understand, up until the last probably 150 years, people lived the same way for thousands of years. Farming was the same. There was no tractors. There's still 2,000, 3,000 years before that, they were still using oxen and plows. And, and I mean, they were still kind of living mostly in agricultural society. There were some cities, but not like it is now. Do you understand that God said, I'll put my hand to the sickle when the harvest is ripe? That in just in the last, do you know there was only, uh, there was less than a billion people in the early 1800s? Now we're close to 8 billion. There was, just a couple hundred years ago, there was less than a billion. In the 1960s, there was only 3 billion. Now we're close to 8 billion, just since the 60s. All of the prophecies that God is talking about, about when the harvest is ripe, that's talking about an explosion of population. Time and travel, Daniel's prophesying. Listen, only in the last 150 years could we fly. Only in the last 150 years has knowledge increased. We got to a place where knowledge only doubled like every, you know, like thousand years. You know, it hardly ever doubled knowledge. Now, we, we double knowledge almost every couple days. We're in this period, and he's saying, this is the preview. 
You're watching the previews right in front of you. And Satan's using travel and communication for evil, but we're supposed to be using travel and communication for the kingdom of God. So we tell every nation and every tongue about Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's really why he allowed that to happen. But, of course, Satan will always pervert it, and he'll use it for evil. But we're supposed to be using all of this for good. And that's why he's increased it. He said, that's a preview. You're watching a preview. I'm, I'm, I'm coming for the church. And he wants to light this up to us that we can see. People who walk in darkness cannot see this. Only people who walk in the light will see it. And so he goes on to say, and then he goes from G, talking about revealing Jesus, verse 4, from John to the seven churches in western Turkey. So he talks about the two most important things in the entire book of Revelations. The two most important things uh, about uh, the Bible are Jesus and his bride, the church. Now, when we get into the seven-year tribulation period, we're, it's just going to be all about Israel. We won't be here for it. The seven-year tribulation period is all about the 144,000 virgin Jews. They're not Jehovah Witnesses. Period. I don't mean that to be funny. I'm telling you the truth. That is a lie. It is, the Bible says it's 144,000 virgin Jews. They didn't earn the right to do that. They, they were trying to honor God, and those 144,000 virgin Jewish men come to know Jesus Christ as the Lord. And they prophesied during the seven years of tribulation to the nation of Israel, and at the end of that seven years, they will begin to turn. On the seventh year, a lot of the Jews will turn to Jesus and confess him as the Messiah, the Lord. But we are gone. We aren't in the seven years of tribulation. We're out of here. Someone clap like, thank you, Jesus. Because we're not the children of wrath. And that's the wrath of God. Those seven years, the wrath of God will be poured out on the earth. And I'm telling you what, it won't be like 2012 or the walking dead. You're not going to want to be here because there'll be no hope. Zero hope. No good. The Holy Spirit will have withdrawn from most of the earth. And it will all be gone. It'll be a horrific time to be alive. You don't want to stick around. You want to go with us, amen? So it's about Jesus and the church. He said, may the kindness of God's grace and peace overflow to you from him who is and who was and who is coming and from the seven spirits, which represents the Holy Spirit who are in front of his throne. Uh, the Holy Spirit manifests himself seven ways. That's a number of sevens, a number of completion. And it says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus is called the witness he is called the advocate, and he's also called the judge. Let me, let me tell you how the judgment seat of God is set up. It is like a courtroom. There is a judge, and then there are, there are witnesses. There's a, there's a witness, and the witness is Jesus. There's an there's a, uh, advocate who is Jesus, and then there's an accuser who is Satan. And each one of us are going to come and stand before the judge. Now, when Jesus Christ is your Lord and you've really surrendered your life to him, I'm not talking about playing games. And we're going to talk about the seven churches because a lot of people playing games in the seven churches. People who now are acting exactly how he describes that it will be in the last days. So 
You'll stand before the judge, and if Jesus is your Lord, check this out. He's your defense attorney, and he says, hold on, I'll offer a defense. I'm going to call my first witness, and then he walks and gets upon the witness stand. I'm going to testify. And And he says, they're mine. They're innocent. Yeah, that's, that's not over. It's not over. He's also the judge. So he goes from your advocate to say, excuse me, I'm going to call a witness that will declare their innocence. And so he calls himself. He declares innocent. Then he gets up from the witness stand and goes, sits in the judge's seat and says, oh, yeah, that's right. They're innocent. He's your, he's your defense attorney. He's your witness. And he's your judge if Jesus is the Lord of your life. Now, if he is not he is none of, he'll only be the judge. And the accuser, Satan, will stand up and accuse you. And he'll point the accusing finger. And there'll be no, there'll be no denying that because the judge already knows everything that is truth. Now, when he's your, he's your defense attorney, your witness, and your judge, not only does he declare you innocent, he said, man, because you're innocent and because you're mine, you not only get to go to heaven, but I'm going to bless you with all kinds of stuff. You get crowns and robes, and I mean, it's crazy, all the goodness of God that he keeps pouring out upon his people. But if you're guilty, you get one sentence and one sentence alone, and the truth will come out about who you are and what you are. You won't be, there'll be no more games and no more hidden secrets. Everything about who you are will be revealed. And there'll only be one sentence. That's eternal death forever as opposed to eternal life forever. I don't know about you. I want Jesus to be my, I want him to be my uh, defense attorney. I want him to be my witness and my judge. Amen. The only, there's only one way for that is that you have to surrender your life to him. So anyway, he goes on to say, he's not only a faithful witness, he's the firstborn from among the dead and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. I left out one other thing he is. He's your, he's your big brother. He's your big brother, your defense attorney, your witness, and your judge. Woo, come on now. My big brother's going to judge me. He loves me, loves you. He said, now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his own blood, and to the one who has appointed us as a kingdom of priests to serve. We're, we're appointed as priests to serve. Who are we serve? His God and Father. We're, we're called to be servants. You know, I've said before that I asked Julie several questions when we went out on our first day. One was, do you tithe? Because I wanted to make sure money wasn't her God. I wanted to make sure money was not her God. You know, it's amazing that when uh, a woman representing the body of Christ poured a year's worth of salary on Jesus' feet, Judas, who represents the world, said, man, how dare she give that to Jesus? How dare they give that to the church? Should have given it to the poor. Heard that. And, he, and then the Bible says he said that because he was a thief. The Bible says anyone who doesn't tithes is a thief, and that's why they criticize people who receive tithes and people who give tithes. Because they're stealing from God. Whoa, Pastor Troy, you talking about me? If you're not tithing, I am. I'll leave the church. You know what? I hope you don't do that. It's not required for you to tithe to come here. And we don't collect W-2s, and I never look at who tithes and who doesn't. 
The only time I have that checked is if something that's not going right, I'll have the staff checked and the elders checked. And they check me too. But Julie and I, I've been tithers since I was 18, 19. She's been tithers since she was five. We didn't start tithing because we're pastors. We started tithing because money's not our God. Say amen, yep. And so um, not only that, but God calls us, as Pastor Sean says every week, for us to be generous. And, man, we, we do everything we can to be generous and to honor God with our finances. But people who accuse the church over money say, I won't go there because all they want is your money. I won't go there because of this, that, and another thing. Those are people just like Judas. If you check what they give to, they'll be just like Judas. They're not only stealing from God, but a lot of times money is their God. Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Who was his God? Money. Who criticized the church over money? Judas. Judas. Those are the critics. Usually they give to nothing. They care about nothing but themselves. We had somebody write when we gave to the sheriff's department, you should have gave that money to me. That's exactly what Judas said. He said, you should have given that money to, to me. Come on now. That's that Judas spirit. That's the spirit of somebody who doesn't understand that money is not the God you want to serve. You want, you want, you don't want to serve money. You want to serve the Lord thy God who blesses you with everything you have. The next question I asked her is, are you a servant? Because, man, if she wasn't serving, I wasn't gonna, there wasn't going to be a second date. I didn't want to marry somebody I had to convince to serve, convince to tithe, convince to serve the Lord thy God. Man, when you're, when you're saved, you're, ser- you're a servant. We believe that the, uh, uh, that the saved do what? Serve. If you're saved, you serve. And so that's why God says we're a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion throughout the eternity of eternities. Amen. Behold, he appears within the clouds. We've talked about that. And every eye will see him. This is the second coming of Christ. Even those who pierced him and all the people of the earth will weep with sorrow because of him. And so it is to be. These are people that are still on the earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. They are going to weep because they have denied Christ. He will come as their judge. He says, I am the Alpha and the Tav. That's the first and last letter of the alphabet of the Jewish uh, uh, alphabet. He said, he is the word. He's saying, I'm the word of God. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and I'm the last. He said, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, am your brother and companion in tribulation, the kingdom, of the, uh, the, the kingdom and the patience that we are found in Jesus. I was exiled on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit realm because only when you're full of the spirit, you have the light of God's word, the light of God inside of you, which is always represented by a flame, by a lamp. The spirit of God is always represented by a flame flame and a lamp, that means it lights up the word of God to you. Otherwise, we can understand what it is saying. And so he said, I was in the spirit. Otherwise, I was looking through the light that God gave me on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice sounding like a trumpet saying to me, listen, he heard it from behind because he kept saying it over and over again. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the one who was, is, and is to come. He spoke from behind him because he's saying, I'm the one that was. I was before. I was the word in the beginning that when God said, let there be light, There was light. I am the word. I was always with God. 
I am the, was, the one who was the baby. I was the boy in the temple. I was the Lord on the cross. I was the risen Savior. I was, and he's speaking to him in the is. So he's speaking behind him to say, I'm the one that was, and now he's saying, I'm the one that is, and John's about to turn around and see the one that is coming. And that's what we need to see. We have to totally flip our perspective on the book of Revelations. We have to totally flip our perspective on who Jesus is right now and the one that is coming. And he says this, and a loud voice sounded like a trumpet saying to me, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then he names the seven churches. We'll get to those later. He said, when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. The number seven is the number of completion. The seven lampstands represent the seven churches, which represents the presence of the whole, the seven part. The, the Holy Spirit is represented in seven different ways he manifests himself. And so this represents the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and how he manifests in the church. So the first thing he sees is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. The lamp stands in the Old Testament temple, which is a shadow, a picture of what is to come. It's a shadow of what is in heaven. The, the temple is a shadow. Uh, what is in the temple is a shadow, a picture of what is real in heaven. And really in heaven are these lampstands. And the priests that serve there fill the lampstands with oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. That's why it says next... I saw seven golden lampstands, and walking among the lampstands, I saw someone like the Son of Man. Otherwise, Jesus was still in a man's suit. He just looks differently. He looks differently than when he walked in a man's suit on the earth. Because now he's fully manifested as not just fully, not just the Son of Man, which they call him in the New Testament, but he's also the Son of God. And now he's going to see him, not as he was, but as he is and who is coming. Wearing a full-length robe. What does a full-length robe represent? Everything in the Revelations is a symbol and a picture of what is in heaven. A full-length robe represents priesthood. So he sees the Son of Man, which is Jesus walking among the lampstands because the priests fill the lampstands. Jesus is the one that fills you with the Holy Spirit. He's the one that sent the Holy Spirit to save you, and he's the one that baptizes you in the Holy Spirit. Man baptizes you in water. That's why John the Baptist instituted that, but Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that fills the lampstands in every church. The number seven represents all the churches on the earth. Then it says, with a golden sash over his chest. That golden sh uh, uh, sash is not just something pretty. It's not just something to, to adore him, to adorn him. It, it represents his love because gold is a precious metal, and that sash is over his chest. It's described exactly how God wants it to describe because it's over his heart, and he's saying that sash represents his precious, precious, extravagant, incredible love for us. Our priest, our priest pours out the Holy Spirit. Our priest loves us. He is the high priest and he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings and he loves us. He loves us with a great passion. 
That's why the Bible says we're the apple of his eye. I don't know if you understand that, but I want you to. I say it all the time. The Bible teaches faith only works through love. The more you understand how much God loves you, the greater your faith is, the greater your prayers are answered, the greater the things you speak come to pass that line up with his word because you understand one thing and one thing alone. God loves me. It's not he loves me when things are going good and when things are going bad, he must be mad at me and not love me anymore. It's not he loves me, he loves me not. It's he loves me in the valley, he loves me on the mountaintop, he loves me when things are going good, he loves me when things are going bad. He's with me in the tribulation, he's with me in the foxhole, he's with me when I cry, he's with me when I'm frustrated, he's with me when I'm happy, he's with me when I'm rejoicing, he's always with me and he loves me. And when you understand that, that's how you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because you know his rod and his staff are with you. His rod and his staff represent his shepherding you, leading you out, and his rod represents his power to help you overcome every obstacle that Satan throws your way. I love talking about my Jesus. I love it. He says his head... And his hair were white like wool, white as glistening snow. Why does he automatically go to his face? Because when you turn around and you see somebody, you automatically look at their face. And he talks about his head and his hair because his head represents his authority. That white, the whiteness of his hair represents wisdom. You see pictures of me when I first got here? I had straight black hair. You guys have taught me. My children have taught me some wisdom. I've earned every gray hair on my head. But he said, that whiteness represents his righteousness, his holiness. His, his head represents his authority. It represents his authority. It represents his wisdom. All of it. And that's how we will see him in heaven. This is who he is. Let me say it again. This is who he is and who is coming. When we see him in heaven, this is who we're going to see. Don't be shocked. You don't see some guy with brown hair and brown eyes. No, 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 no. This is what he looks like. This is what he looks like. You'll be, that's not him. No, yeah, it's him. You'll know. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah that's him. I, I understand that's who he is. This is him now. This is who's coming back. This is who's going to call us out when he calls the church out and he says that trumpet sounds and only people that have the Holy Spirit will hear the trumpet. Only people that have the Holy Spirit, that means you've surrendered your life to the Lord, will hear his voice and he'll only say one thing, one thing alone. The angel will blow the trumpet, bum, 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 uh, and then all of a sudden he's going to say, come, and boom, man, we're out of here. The world will just, it'll be so fast, they won't even know what hit them, they'll just be gone. They'll see explosions all in the cemeteries as all the bodies are going to rise from the dead and meet their spirits in the air, and we're going to leave body, soul, and spirit just out of here. That's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. It's like, mm, like it's going to be so instantaneous, but only those who have the spirit will hear it. Only those that have the Holy Spirit in them will hear it. Then it says this, and his eyes were like flames of fire. Why is his eyes 
eyes like flames of fire. For those who don't know him, that will be justice. That will be a demand for justice in their life. But those who know him, that flame of fire will be a love, a passionate love for us. The same kind of passionate love that allowed himself to step down out of heaven to be tortured. In Isaiah, it says he was so tortured, so badly tortured, you couldn't even tell there was a human being hanging on the cross. His body was ripped to shreds. His face, his body, his arms, his legs ripped to shreds. The reason he would endure that and step out of heaven and endure that kind of torture for us is because he has this, this love for us that looks like flames of fire in our eye, in his eyes. It's a passionate love that he wants to instill in us. Man, I've served the Lord for 42 years. I'm 60 years old, and I still have a passionate, I understand his passionate love, and I have a passionate love for him. Julie and I have been married 32 years, and the first time I saw her, I loved her, and I had a passion for her. And we moved up our wedding date several months because of it. Her idea. No, it's my idea. It's my idea. It's all my idea. Because there was a passion, it's a, it's a burning desire that God has to save us, to spend eternity with us, to even bless you now. He loves us with a passion. His eyes won't look like justice to us. It'll look like a, a, a love that, oh, it'll be so awesome. His feet were gleaming like bright metal. The, another translation says like brass. Brass, brass, brass. Uh, represents walking through judgment. Jesus walked through judgment for us so we don't have to walk through it. Only those who have rejected him, like I said in the courtroom, will have to walk through judgment. We won't walk through judgment. We're gonna be rewarded for our life because we're innocent because Jesus was judged for us. That's why he was tortured like that, and that's why he was nailed to a cross. He took our judgment, and he walked through judgment for us. Oh, happy day. I'm so glad he did it. So it goes from his head to his feet. His head being the authority, his feet is where the head says to go. If the head said, walk through judgment for them. That's why it's such a shame when people reject God, because Jesus walked through judgment for us to rescue us. He said, I didn't come into the world to condemn you, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to rescue, to save you. We're already condemned. We were born condemned. We were born condemned. He came to save us from it. Now and forever. And so he says this, as though they were glowing in a fire, his feet are also a fire. Why? Because everywhere the word of God is preached, it lights a fire. It lights a fire in people who hate him, and it lights a fire in people who love him. Everywhere he walks, man, he's starting fires. Everywhere the gospel's preached, the Bible says part of our armor is we shed our feet with the gospel of peace. We're walking along telling everybody God wants to have peace with you. He died so that you could have peace, and you can be saved, and you can live out God's will in this life, and you can live for Him with him forever in the next life, and we're talking about peace, 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 peace. And in, and in the meantime, every time you hear Jesus, it's a fire. That's why you'll hear a lot of celebrities and people talk about God, I believe in God. But they won't say the name of Jesus. They won't say they're embarrassed. 
or they, they think that's too much because they know one thing, that just talking about God in general won't light a fire. But you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, it lights a fire. Everywhere his name is spoken. Everywhere. Then it says, and his voice was like the roar of many rushing waters. Waters represent uh, people. And so he is saying that when Jesus speaks, it's not only like the roar, the rushing of many oceans. If you've ever been near the ocean, man, it's boom, it's roaring. But this is many oceans. And he's roaring, and it's many waters because it's every nation and every language coming out of him to people. He's speaking to everyone in the world. Everyone. He's speaking to everyone in the world. I want to save everyone. He said, I want to save everyone. I died to save all of you. That's why he died. Now, earlier I mentioned the sickle, that the Bible says when, when, when the harvest is ripe, Jesus will put his hand to the sickle. The sickle is like a hammer, like a, a screwdriver, like a wrench. It is a tool. He said, when the harvest is ripe, I'll use the tool. We're the tool. We're, we are the sickle. We're the ones that go and collect the the harvest, and he said, when my church is right and they're doing what they're supposed to do, a sickle's a long stick with a big edge, uh, a curved blade on it that they'd chop the wheat with. They'd bring in the harvest with that sickle. They'd walk through the, the rows swinging it. He said, man, when my church gets busy and they're bringing in that harvest, uh, his tool is us. When we're bringing in that harvest, he said, when it's perfectly right and you've brought in everybody you possibly can, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. That's why we need to be busy. That's why we need to be telling everybody. He says this because we need, in every language and every tongue, he said in his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. We'll talk about the stars in a moment. But his right hand represents his power, his authority, his provision. All of that he holds in his right hand. Uh, we know that when it says that in his mouth is a double-edged sword, that doesn't mean there's literally a, like a blade sticking out of his mouth. It is, represents the almighty word of God will come forth. It says, and his face was shining like the brightness of the blinding sun. What does the sun represent? We talked about breakthrough, the blinding sun. The sun represents growth. It grows things. The sun represents uh, light and hope. The sun represents provision. The sun is warming. It's comforting. It's all of those things. It's the brightness of his glory, his grace and mercy shine like the noonday sun. And when people see him, man, it is like, oh my gosh, God is good when they see the brightness of his face. When I saw him, I fell down at his feet as good as dead. This is John, the one who laid in Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, John's hanging on him, man, walking with him, his arm around him, like, hey, Jesus. John is at dinner when they t- taken up, uh, when, they, when Jesus established communion, John's laying back on him. You know, when Julie and I would go to basketball games or sit in bleachers at football games, if there was, if we didn't have bleacher seats, you know, sometimes I'd lean back against her, sometimes she'd lean back against me, sometimes my kids would, would lean back, and so just to relax, it's, a, it's an affectionate thing. 
You know, the world right now tries to pervert that and make it sound like John and Jesus were homosexuals because they don't understand true affection. They don't understand brotherly love. They don't understand sisterly love. All they understand is perversion, perversion, perversion. Listen, they keep trying to pervert the Last Supper. It's a lie from Satan, just like he's lied and said that Revelations is about him. Revelations isn't about him. Revelations is about Jesus and his total, utter defeat by Jesus and his bride, the church. So John would lay back against him and hang, you know, they, they just had this brotherly affection and this brotherly love. And man, this is the same guy that did that when he saw him as he was. But now that he sees him as he is, he fell like a dead man. I'm preaching on this and talking about Revelations 1 because people have lost their reverence for God. They've lost the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why people live like fools and call themselves Christians. They justify every sin and every evil. They say, oh, he just accepts me the way he just loves me, accepts me the way I am, and he'll just lead me this way. He made me this way. He made me this way from the beginning. I didn't choose this. He made me to sin. He made me to live outside his will. He made me like this. He made me with a bad temper, so I get to keep it. He made me with a bad attitude, so I get to keep it. He made me a homosexual, so I get to keep it. He made me an adulterer, so I can keep doing it. He made me a fornicator. He didn't make me to marry. He made me to play around sexually. He made me a drug addict. He made me an alcoholic. He just made me. He made me. He made me this way. That's a lie from the pit to keep people in bondage and in slavery. Did not make you that way. Sin makes people that way. He wants to speak. He wants us to see him as he is so we understand that we will stand before a holy God and only those that are covered by his holy blood will enter into heaven. What does that mean? He's going to pour blood on us? No, it's this, no you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Some people hear that like, man, they're going to pour blood on me at church on the move? No, man, his blood represents his forgiveness. He wants to forgive you show you mercy and forgive you of all your sins. He wants to remove the result of sin in this life for you and me. And he wants to remove the results of sin that lead to eternal death in the next life and give us eternal life in heaven. John said, I fell down on his feet as good as dead but he laid his right hand on me and I heard his reassuring voice saying, don't yield to fear. I am the beginning and, and I am the end, the living one. I was dead, but now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys and unlock death in the unseen world. Now I want you to write what you have seen, what is, what is and what, what comes. You notice he didn't say what was. He said what is. So what he is now what is right now, that we're talking about what is right now. He, this is the first time he doesn't say what was, what is, and is to come. He just says what is and what is to come. He's talking to us right now, and he's telling us what is to come. After the things that I revealed to you, the mystery, the secret of the lampstands and the seven stars, 
is this the seven lampstands or the seven churches that represents the presence of the Holy Spirit, Spirit in those churches? And the seven stars on my right hand are the seven messengers, past, pastors. The pastors in those churches. They're not angels. Angels don't need anything in writing. Only we do. The Word of God isn't for angels. The Word of God is for us. So he didn't, he didn't say him to write it and give it to the seven churches and the seven messengers, to give it to the messengers and tell them. He wants to tell the messengers so the messengers tell you. That's what we're doing. In my right hand are the seven messengers and the seven churches. The book of Revelations is about Jesus and the seven churches. He's explaining to us everything. He's going he's to reveal to us in these pages to come all that he wants to say to his church, to his body, to his people. Revelations chapter 5, he's going to explain some very powerful things to us. He's going to explain why the scroll that no man could open, why he's the only one that can open it. It says in Revelations 5 that there was a scroll. That scroll is a lease, is the written lease on the earth. Adam was given a lease. He doesn't own the earth. The Bible says the heavens and the earth belong to God. They always have, but he leased it to Adam. Adam portrayed Jesus, portrayed God, signed the lease over to Satan. And the only one that can take the lease back has to be fully man and fully God. That's Jesus. That's why when in Revelations 5, it says, the angel cried aloud like in a courtroom. It's a courtroom. Can anybody open? Is there anybody in here in this courtroom that can open up this scroll? And no one answered. And John began to weep. And an elder from the throne said, John, don't weep. There is one that can open the scroll. There is one that can claim not only ownership of the earth, but ownership of that lease. Because he is fully God and he owns it. And he is fully man. He can claim the lease. His name is Jesus. Look, he's the lamb that is on the throne. He can open the scroll. And he opens the scroll, and then things start to happen that we're already seeing. Church family, we're watching the previews, and we don't know exactly when the previews will be over and the movie will start. God said, any day. No man will know the day or the hour. Those that have predicted before, guys, do you understand they were used of the enemy? to get the world to say, ah, you said in 1850, you said in 1910, you said in 1920, to get them to discredit the coming of the Lord. Anybody that tries to predict the day and the hour, do not listen to them. They don't know, no man will know, don't follow that. It's just done to discredit the word of God. But there is a day coming. Every eye closed right now, those listening online, Please get yourself in a position where you can just think about what's being said. In here, just 
place yourself in a position mentally, physically, spiritually, that you're listening to what's being said. Listen, if you don't know Jesus, the light of God is not in you. You're walking in the darkness. The Bible calls it the blind leading the blind. I've been there. I was blind and I was leading people. I was so blind. I, I was leading people. I had no clue where I was going. I was walking in darkness. I had no clue. where I, All I could do was lead them into darkness, teach them how to do this wrong thing and that wrong thing. And Man, get them to drink and get them to smoke and get them to, to get high. I mean, I was constantly pulling on people. I was the blind leading the blind, walking in darkness and leading people in darkness. And you know, you have no clue what you're really doing. I don't care how organized you are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care your title. I don't care if you don't have anything. You know, you know you have no clue. You know when you get alone, just like I knew. When I got alone with my own thoughts, I'm like, man, I have no clue. I can't see where I'm going. I, I have this plan, but it doesn't see. Oh, man, it's just darkness. It never satisfies. Doesn't matter what you accomplish. It never satisfies you, those around you. It's never enough. It's never enough. And you're, you're addicted to sin whether it's pornography or you're just addicted to sin. So controlled by it, dominated by it. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to give you permission and power to get free from the sin. Sins, most of the time, sins that are holding you down, holding you back, that are controlling you, dominating you. He wants to open your eyes to see the truth in the light and take you out of darkness. He literally, the Bible says, he translates you from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness where you're a slave to sin, to the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light, where you're free to stop sinning. It, it, some, for some people, it happens instantaneously. Others, like me, it's a process. Either way, you get free. He wants to take you out of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in this life, and then when you die, you go to a greater darkness called eternal death forever. Instead, he wants to take you out of that and wants to take you not only to a life of, of, of learning and living and really living in this life, to a place called heaven where there is no darkness ever, not even a shadow of darkness. But you get to choose which kingdom you live in. And there's not an in-between. You're either in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. You're in the kingdom of Satan, where he's the ruler. He's the little God of that world. Or you're living in the kingdom of God, the real big G-O-D, where the Lord Jesus is king, the one who loves you instead of the one who hates you. You choose what side you're on. But please, choose a side. We ask you. We plead with you. Choose Jesus. He loves you. He wants to rescue you. Don't stay in darkness. Don't die in darkness. Come with us. God won't make you. He's just offering you a choice. For some of you, the first time you're at a place, you're in the valley of decision. 
or the first time you see, the first time I went to church and heard that Jesus didn't come to condemn me, but he loved me, I, that was the first time I understood I had a choice because I always felt ashamed and guilty and condemned. And I found out I have a choice. I can choose Jesus and he'll remove my shame, my guilt, my condemnation. Teach me how to live right. Not perfect, but right. He wants to do the same for you right now if you've never prayed. Whether online or here. Or maybe you have prayed. And like me, man, I'd fall. But I kept getting back up and running to God. You need to just run home. Run back today. Let's go. Keep running back and running back till you get it right. So whether it's your first time or your next time, you need to pray and get right with God right now. Online, I'm going to ask you to send us a message. I'm praying for the first time. I'm praying for the next time. In this room, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to boldly raise your hand up and say, it's me. I'm going to get right with God before I leave here. Then we're going to pray right where you're at. Right where you're at online, right where you're at in this room. Here we go. One, two, three. Raise your hand and say, it's me. Boldly. Lift it up high and say, it's me. I'm going to get right. Praise God. God bless all of you. Man, so many of you. you golly. Praise the Lord. Yes. I see all those hands. God bless you all. Thank you. God bless you. You can put all those hands down. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Let's pray with them. Come on, church. Let's all pray. Say, God, I believe you are God and God alone. I believe you love me. You love us. And you sent Jesus to die for my sins. I believe it. He paid my price, so I don't have to pay it. Thank you. I believe you raised him from the dead, and he is alive right now. And because I believe that, I ask that you forgive me of all my sins. And I receive your full forgiveness. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord, Jesus Christ, of my life. I surrender and submit my whole life to you. And I ask you, by your word, by the Holy Spirit, that I receive right now. You teach me how to live this life to the full until I see you in heaven. Thank you for saving my life in the mighty name of Jesus. So be it. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate the goodness of God. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.